few years back, I was um, invited to participate in a, a training for youth all across Indiana as part of American Baptist Youth, and it was called Youth Leader Corps. And we had the privilege of meeting with students all around the state, and one Sunday morning, um, and we had retreats at various places in Indiana. Well, I'll never forget, we were visiting one church on one Sunday morning that was hosting us. And as we're in the worship service, um, you know, very often some songs we, we sit to and others we stand. But there was one teenager in the crowd, and it was a big church full of people, and she was kind of toward the front. She wanted to stand for all the songs. And so as the entire congregation is sitting, she is standing and singing boldly and loudly. And I thought, that's awesome. You know, as she's celebrating and wanting to sing, she doesn't worry so much as trying to fit in with the crowd as she is excited about praising God's holy name. I don't know who she was. I don't know who she is now. But I thought... And I wondered, I bet she doesn't struggle with peer pressure because she is willing to stand alone and be who God's calling her to be and not worry about what other people think. And that can be a struggle for all of us as we live life because we're, I think we're kind of wired to fit in. We're wired to be, as we're growing up, to be part of our nuclear family. And we learn habits from our family that should be things that help us to succeed in life. And they should be habits that point us to a relationship with Christ as we, we grow up. And then those want to stick with us. But this desire to fit in also bleeds over into all relationships. And it's important for us to understand as we live our lives in this broken world that we live in, there are many times, if not most times, where if we're really doing what God is calling us to do and being who God is calling us to be, we're going to stand out from the rest of the world. And here in Daniel 3 this morning, this is exactly what is happening. And I'll remind you what happened previously in that we're in Babylon. The Hebrews are in, at least the first group of them, are in exile. And as they are here in exile in Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar is the king. And he's a weird dude. He loves killing people who are against him in extravagant ways to make a point. People are terrified of him to go against him in any way, shape, or form. I can imagine a, a board meeting as they're discussing um, strategy on a battle or how to do economics or whatever. If he has an idea, there's no one in the room who's going to say, that's not a good idea, let's do it this way, um, because you could die from that. So he experiences a dream, and he calls people to interpret it. No one can, because... First of all, he doesn't tell them what the dream is. The people have to know what he's dreaming and then interpret it. And Daniel comes forward saying, you're right, nobody, no human can do that, but there's a God above who can. And God has revealed that to, to me to share with you, not because I'm special, but because God is special and God's incredible. So he shares the dream and remember there's um, a giant statue and the head represents the, the Babylonian Empire of Nebuchadnezzar, and then there's various empires that are represented with the rest of the statue. So 
Nebuchadnezzar shocked by this. He falls down on his face in front of Daniel and says, basically, your God is God. A little time passes. Time enough as Nebuchadnezzar reflects on this statue where he is part of it. But then in his own mind, he's recognizing, you know, I'm the most powerful human in the universe right now. I think I want to redo this statue in real life, but I want it to be all me, so it's going to be all gold. And I want to have this giant 90-foot statue, and he has this, this thing made. And not only does he have this giant statue of himself made, but he has the arrogance to say, I want everyone in the kingdom to worship this statue and bow down to it in homage. And when the, all the musical instruments play, that's the signal that everyone bows to my statue in worship, including all foreigners, all exiles, anyone needs to do this. And now he has an opening ceremony, and he invites all the, the people in leadership to come to this um, breaking in ceremony of the statue. And as he invites the group there, anyone who's anyone is there. And he calls everyone to bow to him, to his statue. Now there's a problem here for a certain group of exiles who were there, exiles from Judah. The exiles from Judah know clearly that the teachings that were given for Moses from Mount Sinai said, thou shalt not worship any other gods before me. Thou shalt not worship any images. And I've mentioned this before, but I'll remind, remember that we are created in the image of God. And actually that word image in Hebrew in Genesis is the same word that's used as, as idol. And that we are all images, reflections, representation of God in heaven. God created us to be images of him. Not in as much as ten fingers and ten toes, but of what we do. How we represent the creator of the universe. And having his heart and his passion and his love because the, the humans and then the Hebrew people were appointed to be ambassadors for God for all the nations. To tell them that everyone is created in the image of God and there's only one God worthy of being worshipped. Knowing this, there's this little prayer group of Hebrews and this little prayer group have gathered to pray for a lot of different things. This little prayer group was with Daniel and with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they gathered to pray for several things. As it's mentioned in earlier chapters, when Daniel heard about this proclamation that all of the wise people are going to be killed unless they can interpret the dream, the first thing that Daniel did was to gather his prayer group. And his prayer group got together and they prayed. And they petitioned and God gave Daniel the dream and the interpretation of the dream. So they were used to this. 
these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, recognize that there is a God in heaven. And he gave Daniel the dream and the vision, and that God is God. So then when all the people are called together at the foot of this statue and told to worship, their knees won't bow. They just won't do it. Their heads do not go down. They can't because they know there's only one God and they are called to worship him. So imagine this large group of people all being obedient to King Nebuchadnezzar's command to worship the statue of him, which represents him. I mean, he's wanting everyone to worship him. And so everyone's bowing down, laying down, facing the statue. But there's three who are not afraid to not bow down. And remember Nebuchadnezzar's history. If you go against him, he kills people in creative ways just to make a point. And I'm thinking in myself, what would Randy do in that situation? How would Randy deal with that? How would you deal with that? They don't bow. Now there's a large group of people there. People are all bowing. And Nebuchadnezzar, I could see just glowing with pride at this image of himself and everyone bowing down to it. But then he gets a little tap on the shoulder. Because, see, there's these other group of wise people that they do not like the Jews. They do not like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. And I can imagine, remember, each of these times um, that Daniel has done something great, he gets promoted and then also Daniel says, hey, can you promote my, my buddies too? So they have been promoted up higher in the kingdom. And I can imagine the ones who have lived there their whole life, who grew up there, who were the established Babylonians, were really upset that now these exiles, these foreigners, are now their boss. And I can imagine their, their frustration and anger at that. So what better way to get promoted than have your, your um, bosses executed by King Nebuchadnezzar? So they're, they're tapping him on the shoulder and says, Hey, you know how you've told everyone to bow down and worship when they hear the musical instruments? Look over there. And there's the three standing. And what's surprising to me in the text is that I would expect him to just immediately have them executed. That would seem to be his M.O. of the past. But for some reason, he, he has them brought to him, and he has them in front of him, and he's like, and I don't know why, but he has this, this much compassion, just a little bit, and says, I'm sure that you don't, you misunderstood. All you've got to do is bow down to the statue when you hear the musical instruments, and then you're good. That's all you've got to do. And the three looked him in the eye, and they said, we can't do it. You see, there's this God in heaven, and he's able to deliver us. And he will deliver us. He will take care of us. But even if he doesn't in the way that we think that he will, 
He's still God in heaven. He's still God in heaven, and he's still got our backs, even if he doesn't deliver us in this way. And then this is where we come in in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Talk about these furnaces. Um, Archaeologists have, not too long ago, um, discovered in northern Iraq, which this would be part of the Babylonian Empire, so in northern Iraq, some of these, these, what they were, were brick kilns um, to bake brick. And they were huge. Imagine this, this empire as they're building and doing, creating this incredible city and this empire. They needed a lot of brick. And they did it differently than here in Madison. I was told, for example, when our church building was built, that they, what was common during that time period is they would build a little kiln out on the street. Has anyone else heard this? This is just me. Someone in historic Madison told me. So they would bake the brick on the spot and then use those brick to build the building. Well, here in the Babylonian Empire, they used giant kilns. And so they were huge, like the size of a city block. And they would fill what we would call today like skids of brick inside and then just build huge fires in the building. And the whole thing would be a giant kiln to to bake the brick. And so we don't know exactly what kind of furnace this is, but it would be a, a good guess with all the construction that was going on. And as they ordered this kiln to be made hotter, then it usually is seven times hotter in 21. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I noticed that through this passage, the author here uses their names a lot. They don't say them. They just kept using their names a lot. I think it's important for the author to know that who these brave men were. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So within this passage, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar is in shock. That not only are three men in there, but some amazing things happen. They're still clothed, but there's only one article that burned on them when they were in the flames. What, what did burn? Hmm? Yes. So whatever they were bound with, those burned off. They were freed from that. And they're walking around, and there's a fourth one there. It's never described completely who this fourth one is. Jewish people will say this is an angel, 
probably Gabriel or someone. As we look back, the imagery here could very well be pointing to Jesus himself during this time period and being with them. But something that we know for sure today is that Jesus is available and with us at all times. You see, as we live life, very often because we, we don't have a visual right in front of us of the presence of Christ in our lives, but there is a way to live, to recognize that no matter what is going on in us, around us, what is going on, that the creator of the universe loves us so much and is present with us, even if we do not see him face to face the way that these three are. You see, if we live a life of that understanding, it's transforming. It gives us courage. It gives us ability to recognize that no matter what, I've got Jesus. Jesus is with me at all times. And it's a cute story, and I've told you before, but I'll say it again. Um, one of my cousins, who was an elementary um, music teacher, like Sarah, um, was having a little girl sing a solo. And the girl said, what's a solo? And the teacher explained, that's when you, you, you go by yourself and you're the only one. And she said, oh, I can't do a solo. And she's like, why not? She said, because Jesus is always with me. So I'm never alone. And then my cousin said, her mom taught her well, um, that she truly brought with her an understanding that Jesus was always with her. You're never singing a solo. You don't ever sing a solo. The presence of God is with you. No matter what circumstance you face, no matter what you've had to endure, no matter this, this calling that God has given you that you just think is, is too much and you're not capable of doing that, you're not singing a solo. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with me at all times. And when we live that way, others can see it. Nebuchadnezzar saw it in a very literal way. Explains after this that as they came out of the fire, even their clothes did not smell like smoke. It's one of the things about, I love sitting around a campfire, but I know that everything I've got, including my coat, I have to wash the smoke, smell of smoke off of it um, because of the way it is. But as I see this experience, I'm not naive enough to recognize that we will all be delivered the same way as these three godly men. That as we face life, we do so recognizing that God above loves us and will be with us. But we're not all delivered this way. Sometimes we are, sometimes we're not. I kind of see it as there's, there's three different ways to look at this. Whenever we're having to face what we feel like is a solo or to face the fiery furnace, one thing that can happen is we can get delivered from it. And that we can go, an example is we go to the doctor, we get some preliminary tests, and they're bad. They look bad about what is coming in our future. And then as we pray, Lord, please don't let this be. 
and they schedule tests the next week. And as those tests get done, find out those first tests were an error. That's not the way it was. We can say, praise God, we got delivered from this and don't have to deal with it. Sometimes God delivers us that way. Sometimes God delivers us through it. That would be, we get the test results, they're not good. We gather our our prayer group to pray about it. We get more tests and it looks like things still aren't good. And then we go through the process that we have to go through it. And eventually things come out okay. So we recognize that God delivers in that way and walks with us through and does his healing work and his work in us as that process happens. And then there's a third way that sometimes we're delivered in it. And that we get the news, we gather our prayer group together, and we pray and we walk through it. But eventually in the end, it was our time. And we see our Heavenly Father at the end of that. And that's getting delivered in it. But the key to recognize through however we have to face, anything we have to face, is that right with us is Jesus. And Jesus walks with us and enables us to have the strength to make it each day, to have the strength to be who God calls us to be. And as we truly recognize that, as we're walking through that, the world can see that. The world can see the hope that is in us, an understanding of ultimate things. And some of our active people this week have lost their their parents. Karen and, and Grover both lost parents this week. And they recognize the hope that is there. The hope and the understanding that this life that we live in is temporary for all of us. And that these bodies that we inhabit are temporary dwellings. And that the understanding the ultimate and understanding who God is, is what enables all of us to live life with hope, with confidence, and an understanding that our Savior loves us. And so I want to ask all of us this morning, as you face what you have to face, are you living life with an understanding that Jesus is truly with me? Are we living life in a way that we recognize as we face each decision in life? As we face each temptation in life is what we have to deal with? As we face each calling that we have in life that God is giving us, do we do so with recognizing, is Jesus truly with me? And as we truly recognize that, and we have this faith built as we continue to look at what God has done in my past and recognizing that God is with me now and recognizing God is with me in my future, that we're never alone, that Jesus is always with us. And as we understand that and we live with that understanding, it's transforming. 
So for you this morning, do you really understand that Jesus is with you? Do you really understand that Christ is calling you? Come follow me. Leave your agenda that you have for yourself. Come and make my agenda your agenda. Come and make my life your life. Come and make my calling your calling. Have you joined that calling? Have you joined the family of God? Do you know what that looks like and what that means? Come and talk to me. You can call the church this week. Call me, contact me, email me. Come and talk to me this morning. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a part of the family of God, to live a life like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's pray. God, as we see this incredible example of faith, this incredible example of hope, this incredible example of being dependent upon you, God, give us this faith that we see here, that these four men who have been carried off to the Babylonians give us an understanding of how they face each day, that even at the point of of death, we're willing to totally surrender to you. God, give us that faith. In your precious name, we pray. Amen.